Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Chargers Podcast Network. My name is Steven, and I'm the host, as always, and joining me on a victory uh, Tuesday, Wednesday for you guys is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Pretty good, man. That game was about as pretty as you and me competing in a beauty pageant, but you know what, man? <laughs> it's nice to break out the Victory Monday shirt on a Wednesday. It's nice to be talking on this podcast after a win. Steven, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, shout out to Homage. They make uh, great shirts. I guess is a free ad now, but uh, I have a few Homage shirts myself. They make like fantastic quality. You know, I have the the NFL Jam one with uh, Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen. I have uh, the Quentin Johnston one. Um, I got the Joey Bosa NFL Blitz shirt. So Homage makes great great stuff. If you haven't check them out, you can get that Victory Monday shirt as well. So appreciate Homage, but. Uh, Doing good. Tyler and I were talking uh, before we jumped in here. Both of us obviously work in education, as we've talked about on the show, and both of us are very much prepared for Christmas break. As a, as if any educator is, is is in your life, you know that they are are feeling the same. So, a few short weeks away from Christmas break, and uh, very excited for that. Yeah, me too. But we got games to cover until then, and and yes, you know some kids to teach and stuff. Yeah. Games, games to get into. I have started watching uh, draft prospects. This is generally the time of year where I start watching draft prospects. So I just started watching Brock Bowers today. Uh, so a lot of fun. Um, all right, we're gonna dive into this uh, Chargers Patriots game. We'll also do a, a little look ahead uh, to Chargers Broncos, and then we're bringing back Overreaction Wednesday. So Tyler and I have some uh, talking points we want to discuss and and. Uh, figure out where is the silver lining or where is kind of the gray area in these, in these kind of topics, debates that are kind of going around on social media. So it should be a lot of fun. Hope you guys are uh, ready and excited off a of win for uh, what's to come the rest of the week. So before we dive into this content today, uh, as always, Tyler and I are fans of the team. First and foremost, the uh, opinions that we express on this show are just that they are our opinions and not the opinions of the Chargers organization. Uh, we are very grateful to have this platform and uh, hope to uh, continue to uh, produce this content for you guys the rest of the season. So hopefully you enjoy it. And uh, if you don't mind, please uh, leave a comment, leave a rating, leave a review. All that stuff really does help us to continue to uh, grow the show and uh, show our appreciation toward the Chargers. So uh, that being said, Tyler, we'll dive in first and foremost to the uh, Patriots game. We wanted to sit back and and watch some of that tape uh, and, and get some some real takeaways there. So uh, you kind of focus in on the offense. I kind of focus in on the defense. We'll, we'll have some big takeaways to discuss from that game, from what we saw on tape. Um, so let's start with the offense. You you uh, you pointed out some things on Twitter, but what was kind of your your big takeaway after watching the tape about the Chargers offense and their six points on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for giving me that one. The offense and the six points. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to kick that one off for of the show. Don't worry. Um, honestly, I came away being happier with Kellen Moore, the play caller. Um, but about as frustrated with Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator. And I, I do kind of want to make that distinction. Um, outside of a handful of plays, I really felt like the offense, you know, I like the calls overall. I like Justin Herbert and how he looked. Um, there were plenty of guys that were open. Plenty of opportunities, I think, for the Chargers to be better than what the scoring output ended up being. At the same time, the coordination on the offense and trying to get 11 guys to play together and all 11 guys to execute, that was very frustrating. And it really has been frustrating for several games now. And you can throw in and talk about a lot of the reasons why it doesn't look so good 
We've talked about it sure. a million times. Corey Lindsley, Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, all these issues. And I do take those into account. And I do believe that like in the Lions game sort of recently, for example, in a lot of games, the graphic they showed during the Patriots game, they're moving Keenan Allen around a lot. He's got like 200 more yards after motion uh, or because of motion or off of motion than any other receiver or tight end in the NFL. Yep. But so they're, they're trying, but the execution is just not there on a down to down basis. And if I give Brandon Staley, uh, Derek Ansley, some flack for the defense not executing, I and, and we have to talk about how Kellamore has not gotten all of these guys on a down to down basis to execute really well. And as I was prepping for the show, I just kind of wanted to make some mental notes of plays just off the top of my head after watching the film and after we've watched the game, we could tell anyway, where the execution for, for whatever reason was just not there. And it's always, a, it's, it's almost a different player every time, you know, you look at yeah. the, the third down run, Jalen Guyton doesn't get his block and they don't convert on that run. Guyton doesn't get out in front of Quentin Johnston on a screen. That thing could have been 40 or 50 yards for a touchdown, to be completely honest. Um, Keenan Allen doesn't get a hand on the edge rusher on that jet sweep, which was probably a dead play anyway. But still, nobody blocks him, couldn't get a hand on him, loss of seven. Donald Parham has two drops. Quentin Johnston, you couldn't have asked for more than Justin Herbert on that throw in the rain, rolling to his right, under pressure, right down the sideline. Quentin Johnson drops it. Uh, Joshua Kelly dropped a pass. Austin Eckler dropped a pass. Slater can't get in front of Eckler on a screen that I thought was going to be, you know, pretty good. Again, the, the call was there. It got the, the Patriots, I think, but Slater can't quite get out there, and the screen doesn't go for as much. Um, Austin Eckler runs and has the opportunity to cut to his right. You took the screenshot, and we, we talked about it. I noticed this yesterday, too. Eckler could have gone to the right behind Jamari Sawyer. Plenty of green grass that way, but he just goes left straight into a pile. Um, Herbert keeps the option rather than hand it off, which has been the opposite problem. You know, in previous weeks, typically Herbert hands it off where he should have kept it. He keeps it. They lose yards. You know, Herbert's off by just like a foot on an Everett pass um, in the red zone. So every, every unsuccessful play has one person typically not doing their job or not executing to their fullest. And it's, it's never that same person, but so the calls I think I felt were better than I thought. And it, it's tough to say because after only six points to say that they were like really good calls, but they sure. were better than I expected because guys were open and there were opportunities there, but somebody is not executing. So I think there's a hundred passing yards, another 40 rushing yards that are just there sitting on the field. But because Kellen Moore has not gotten these guys to execute every single down, and there's always one guy making some mistake, they haven't been very successful. And that's part of the reason the Chargers are currently on the outside looking in in this postseason race. Yeah, I think that's important that you make that designation or distinction rather uh, about the play calls and like the the concepts that Kellen Moore generally runs are very strong. Like we on Saturday talked about like how we have really enjoyed seeing Kellen Moore bringing this um, – you know, extra step out of Justin Herbert and and how Justin Herbert has had more control of the offense. Um, you know, Kel, uh, Keenan Allen's getting more opportunities downfield, which like shocker, he's always been able to do. Um, you know, Justin Herbert's ADOT is up and and like the bones of this offense schematically are really, really sound. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like part of your job as being an offensive coordinator are these details to get everybody on the same page. And Brandon Staley even said this yesterday, you know, speaking specifically about the run game, 
that it's about all 11 players, like all 11 players have to be on the same page, um, whether that's blocking, whether that's running routes, whether that is quarterbacking and calling the plays, whether that is the center communicating, whether that is, you know, everybody has to be on the same page to properly run an offense. And listen, like there's a lot of context like that you mentioned, but um, you know, this Chargers offense scoring six points this week, um, 10 points last week, it's just a, it, it, it's just kind of unexcusable. It's unacceptable to me to have a Justin Herbert led offense continuing to have these kind of struggles of consistency. And, and that's about practice, right? Like that's throughout the week. Those are things that you have to be honing in throughout the week as, as a, as a coordinator, as a head coach. And like you mentioned, we were criticizing Brandon Staley and, and Derek Ensley in the defense earlier this season for not honing in on the details. And now we're seeing some of that come to fruition from the offense. Um, there's also just some like really head scratching decisions being had out there. Um, you know, I, I tweeted about the, the, the sequence right after the, the, the Tuli Tui Pelotu uh, fumble recovery. And they run a crack toss. They get five yards out of that, which is fine. Um, on second down, they run a trap play, which the, the Patriots were in a light box. And so, like, again, the concept is sound. You run, you run a trap play. Austin Eckler gets three yards. Um, you know, uh, Rashawn Slater and Gerald Everett kind of missed some blocks. It wasn't super clean, but you get three yards. So you're in a positive third and two situation. So, you, like, you can kind of understand the thought process there. But then on third down, they motion into the exact same formation with Jalen Guyton coming across the formation. This time, the Patriots safety follows him and essentially creates a heavy box. And Justin Herbert decides to kill the first play. So for those who don't know, every single play call in the NFL, especially under Kellen Moore, you have two tags with it. And so Justin Herbert has the uh, ability to kill the first play and get to the second play. And in this instance, the second play was the exact same trap call that the Chargers ran on second down. It's just instead with Joshua Kelly instead of Austin Eckler. And Joshua Kelly gets one yard instead of the two and a half that he needed. And that to me is just an unacceptable use of your resources in that moment after a turnover for you to run that kind of sequence was was a head scratcher for Kellen Moore. And some people will say like, oh, like they were in a positive down and distance. You should be able to run a trap play for, you know, to get two and a half yards on third down. And it's like, yes, I agree with you. But when you're evaluating the play call and the process, that to me was not a positive experience for, or not a positive review from Kellen Moore to have the same exact play, same exact formation on back-to-back plays after a turnover when you're really trying to get things going to me was, was not a great sequence for Kellen Moore. No, at, at some point they do have to consider the process and the results of the process and, and what they're trying to do here. I mean, the chargers, their rushing success is is terrible. Let me see if I can I can find it here. But basically, this this rushing success is the worst it's been since 2012. They had, no one has a worse success rate in, in 66.67 or two thirds of their games than the Chargers since 2012. Like it is, it is not great. And the Chargers need to acknowledge that. And like you said, the head scratching situations. There are too many times, you know, early down um, in, in situations. Again, I don't know why on, on third and six, the jet sweep was there to Austin Eckler, who just doesn't quite have that same yeah. burst. But yeah, the, the head-scratching moments there are really setting the team back. But 
And then you have the, the drops as well. The, the drops are kind of a new thing for the Chargers in terms of this season. It felt like it was pretty managed throughout the beginning of the year. And now it's, it just sure. seems to be magnified in several games. Um, as our guy Arjun pointed out against the, the Patriots, the Chargers, it was the, it was the third time since being drafted that Justin Herbert um, had receivers drop six passes in a single game. So that's the third game of, of his with six drops since 2020. Um, no other quarterback has had one such game since 2020. I'm not even talking about 2020 like quarterbacks. I'm talking all quarterbacks. Herbert's got three. No other quarterback has more than one. So it, it's just frustrating to see some of these easy ones, you know, go through and not work out. There are so many plays, at least two of the Parham plays, the Quentin Johnson catch where you have a field goal, at least in there. And I'm not saying that 15 points is a whole lot better than six points, but 15 better, points is better than six points, you know, and, and that would yeah. have led to, I think, a, a more successful and a better looking day. But again, because of the execution for whatever reason, the charges just are not getting it done. And you can do that against the Patriots, right? Because they scored, and we'll talk about the defense, zero points. But you can't yeah. do that against most of these other teams. So hopefully they figure it out. I, I do want to see this offense operate now, not in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> not in the rain, for sure. Not against an, an elite Ravens defense, for sure. Um, just to real quick about your point about the drops. Um, if you follow... I, not a lot of people follow him, which I, I think is it should be corrected. Uh, Mib PJ, he's the he's the blob man on Twitter. He's a great follow, um, if, especially if you're into analytics stuff. And he always goes to bat for Justin Herbert. Uh, so he's he's a great follow, and he pointed this out too that um, Justin Herbert has lost the second most EPA from drops this season because a lot of these drops that we're talking about are coming on third and fourth downs. Like uh, at least three of these six from Sunday were on third downs and would have been conversions. Um, so I, I think that just adds to that point. So I will say, you know, on a more positive side, adding like from the, the offensive tape, I thought Justin played a fantastic game. I thought the offensive line played a fantastic game. Um, we've seen, you know, the, you know, the Patriots don't have their same guys, right. But the, the scheme and the bones are there. Um, this stunt package that, that the Patriots have has given the Chargers a lot of problems in the past, and I thought they generally had an answer for it. That was something that me and you wanted to see highlighted this week. They only allowed four pressured pressures as an offensive line. Um, Justin Herbert was only pressured on uh, 19% of his dropbacks, I believe, according pro, to Pro Football Focus. So six points, not great. Run game, not great. But there were some positives from the offense, I think, namely Justin Herbert and the offensive line were, were things that you can, you know, kind of hang your hat on in that game and, and hopefully build on for this week against the Broncos. Yeah. It speaks to the growth of Justin Herbert. You think of the first game that he played against the Patriots. And that was, that was a definitely an enjoyable experience. It was not um, the second <laughs> game was a bit better. Right? I think they ended up scoring yeah. 21 in that game. Well, that last touchdown kind of off a mile to Hill Mary sort of throw, but he looked and the offensive line give them credit like this was arguably their best game in pass pro all season it was definitely at least statistically trey pipkin's best allowing zero pressures in this game against a pretty good set of edge rushers or at least the one edge rusher so it, it was very encouraging to see justin herbert has continued to look really good we'll get into i think some of the herbert growth stuff in a bit with the overreaction stuff so i, I won't share everything but yes he did look very very strong overall Six drops is just six drops. 
and they got to do better. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, shifting gears here to the, de- <clears throat> excuse me, to the defensive side of things. Um, I, I want to give a shout out specifically today to two players who the Chargers made uh, starters uh, at, during the Ravens week, and that is Isang Bassey and Jalen Hawkins. Um, Jalen Hawkins, I think, is like not necessarily a starter starter, but he is their safety three, um, which is the the safety who comes in for for the dime package. Um, and also, I guess Derwin James belongs in the same kind of conversation. So, you know, the Chargers made these changes in the hopes that they would be able to kind of settle things down. Derwin obviously is is their best player in the secondary, and they've played him more in the slot recently. And the combination of of those three players has really started to, I think, settle down the Chargers secondary. I think previously there were a lot of communication errors often between the safeties and the linebackers or the slot and the safeties or the slot and the linebackers. And a lot of times that resulted in some pretty um, nasty busted coverages. There were a few against the Lions that uh, Amon Ross St. Brown was just like wide open with nobody within 15 yards of him. Sam Laporta, same kind of thing. Um, since they the Chargers have made that change, things have just looked so much better on the back end. And, and obviously it's not perfect. I don't want to put too much stock into um, this week's game, you know, in the rain against a, a very poor Patriots offense. Um, but they had a good showing against the Ravens. They had a good showing against the Patriots. And Isang Bassey in particular has, has given them uh, a strong lift in the slot. Daniel Popper wrote about this as well. Um, through week 11, the Chargers were allowing 13.4 yards per reception to slot receivers, which was the highest in the league. Um, over the last two weeks, that has shrunk down to 8.7 yards per reception, which ranks eighth lowest in that span. So Isang Bassey, the combination of him and Derwin James in the slot has really started to pay dividends. And it just looks cleaner. Like there's not as many issues passing off routes. There's not as many issues with broken coverages. Um, the very last play, I, I think, is one of these examples where Isang Bassey is kind of in man-to-man coverage against Hunter Henry, and he kind of gets hung up a little bit. But Eric Kendricks is is right in position, right on time, and is able to uh, make a pass breakup. Isang Bassey was also able to recover. But if Bassey had not gotten there, Eric Kendricks was right there waiting for him. So just like the the communication, the understanding, the passing off of routes, I think has really improved over the last two weeks in particular because of Isang Bassey playing the way that he has. Just kind of has stabilized the slot position for the Chargers right now. Yeah, he's only allowed 21 yards receiving the last couple of weeks. I mean, that is significantly better than what the Chargers would get in terms of production prior to this. And now yeah. the Chargers... It's only over the last two weeks, but they are ninth in EPA per play in those two games in defensive EPA per play. So they are significantly better. And like you said, there's there's less of these. Why is that guy wide opens? There's less of. Yes. Wait, why is why is nobody around this guy? Why is that guy just running free? There's a lot less of that. And credit Brandon Staley and this coaching staff because they had been saying for so long, it's an execution thing. We got to play a certain way. We're looking for certain things. And it didn't seem like anything was changing. And we assumed that there was coaching and there was to try to correct these things. But the solution that they've come up with now, very late in the season, like the last third ish of the season to play these guys around, it's working. And so right now, look, 
even I said it last week, I'm not taking a whole lot of stock in just one game against the Ravens, who I do think got away with what they were doing that was working well. And I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock in, in just facing the Patriots. So I think talk to me against after Denver, obviously after Buffalo, those sort of games. Yeah. But this defense just looks a lot better. Like the product on the field just looks better. We're not we're not just sitting here clawing our faces, wondering why a guy is wide open. It just it's very sound. Things are in front of everybody. It just seems like everyone understands their responsibilities now. And, and credit to all the acquisitions they've made really throughout the middle of the season or right before the season. I mean, having some foresight to bring in some guys. You know, it was Dean Marlowe for a bit who really stabilized things. Now it's Jalen Hawkins, you know, Basie, um, Hollins, you know, the edge rusher. Some of these guys mm-hmm. that they're bringing in are just bringing something different that maybe they expected um, from their draft picks. Some of these draft picks, whether because they're hurt or not playing well, et cetera, you know, that was kind of their plan going into the season. I understand why you have those guys in those roles, but they brought in different guys and they've been, they've kind of made themselves prepared to pivot at a certain point. And you may say, you know, too little, too late, but they are pivoting and it is working. And if it continues to work again this week against the Broncos and a, a pretty good Broncos offense right now, hats off to the coaching staff. Yeah, I'm, I am curious to see how things change. JT Woods was activated off of the NFLI list today. Um, you know, that means the Chargers are carrying five safeties on the roster right now. So I am curious to see what the plan is for JT Woods. Does that mean more slot snaps for, for Derwin, more box snaps for Derwin? Does JT Woods have a role at all? Um, uh, it, it is just going to be interesting to see how they kind of onboard him because JT is obviously was the safety three all offseason long. He started that way. He was placed on the NFLI list. Um, but Jalen Hawkins has been playing pretty well. Isang Bassey has been playing pretty well. Derwin in the slot has been a nice, nice thing to, to get back to. And I think those guys also stabilizing those positions means that Derwin James can get back to doing some of these things like rushing the passer, like playing as a pseudo like edge rusher in certain packages. And I think that's really where we've seen Derwin kind of start to make more of an impact over the last couple of weeks. So there are definitely some other things like defensive storylines. Obviously, we talked about Kilo Mack uh, on Sunday afternoon and what he's doing. Um, I, I continue to be amazed by the way that Tuli Tuipolotu has just walked into the NFL and become one of the best edge run defenders in the league. Um, just the ability that he has to stack and shed defenders, beat tight ends, um, make tackles for losses is outstanding. There are lots of other things that we could talk about, but I think Isang Bassi deserved a shout out here, especially himself, because he's really like pl- taken advantage of this opportunity. And obviously I hope that continues for the rest of the season. Yeah, me as well. And I hope that whatever JT Woods role is and whatever capacity, how they rotate these safeties, we do love Derwin James closer to the line of scrimmage and we do love him as an edge rusher. Of course, uh, that was fantastic. Apparently the Sunday was hit Ezekiel really hard day. Ezekiel Elliott really hard day. Um, Khalil Mock yeah. got him really good. Derwin James uh, got Zeke in pass protection as well. Yeah. Der- Derwin closer to the line is just makes everything better and credit to the coaches and these safeties for allowing Derwin to do that. Um, it is more simplified, of course, for Derwin to be way back there, guarding back to eat with a low he Gilman. Sure, sure. That is simplified. But if you can find a way to get Derwin's role closer to that line and allow him to rush the passer, like that is what he does the best. That is the best way to use him. 
And if he can execute as well, it looks more like it did on Sunday where he was all over the place. Yeah, the the blitz package that Brandon Staley cooked up for the sack that Derwin got was just unfair, man. Like he he rushed in between Thule and Justin Hollins, who's who's having like a, a really nice season for the Chargers as well. Um, and Derwin executed it perfectly. He faked out Zeke, got home. I thought Derwin played really solid on 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 Sunday, and then the pass rush in general just was was outstanding to see. So um, good to see Derwin back rushing the passer. I hope like. There's really no reason why he shouldn't be doing that like three or four times a game. I think it was four this part this past Sunday. You know, he got a pressure, he got a sack, so it just makes things so much easier. And I, I think especially without Joey, you're you're probably needs to do that more often. All right, let's get to some of these overreactions here, and then uh, we will uh, highlight the Broncos game for a bit. Um, so we have uh, five points that we wanted to. Uh, touch on with these overreaction segments. So, um, Tyler, uh, we'll start with the first one. There's a lot of positivity about the, the Chargers' defense right now. Obviously, you mentioned their their EPA per play standings right now. Um, I guess the overreaction statement we want to assess here is that the Chargers' defense has figured it out after two strong showings against the Ravens and Patriots, and will continue to play at this level throughout the rest of the season. What are your thoughts there? That is currently an overreaction. Uh, to quote the great Ella Enchanted, didn't we just do this? Uh, we just did this, I feel like, with the, the Chargers defense. That's... Yeah, Ella Enchanted reference on the Guilty as Charged podcast. Drop that like. Not expecting that one. Yeah, not at all. I think it's an overreaction at this point. Uh, I do believe the Ravens could have done more against the Chargers based on what you saw other teams do the previous weeks. And they sort of did that to start the game and then got away from that the second half. Still, what they did against the Ravens, the defense did against the Ravens, was pretty strong overall, um, holding them to 13 points until really like the final play where Zay Flowers broke free. Um, but I got to see more. And if, if, if we did, if the Chargers had Ravens, then Lions, and had, let's say, two games of 20 points allowed, I'd believe it. But one being the Ravens, okay, you know, pretty solid showing, pretty good showing. The Patriots, man, they're they're not good. Their offense is not very good. So I got to see more. I do believe it is an overreaction at this point. And talk to me after the Denver game. Then I think we can start seeing if there's a real pattern here. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I also think, like, figured it out. It has to be quantified here because, like, the, the Chargers right now, like you mentioned, they're eighth in EPA per play over the last two drives. That if that is your expectation, if that's how you are qualifying, figure it out. Like if your expectation is them being a top 10 defense, I think definitely this is an overreaction. Mm. I think if the Chargers bar for defensive success is like 20th in the league, I think over the final five weeks, this team can be that. So I, I think I would kind of fall in the middle right now. I, you know, I, I think that. I don't want to fall for this trap again of it being like, oh, like the defense, this is what we were expecting. Like, this is what we wanted to see. Um, but I do think that they have settled some things down and I think they can perform at, you know, a, a an average level right now in terms of EPA per play, in terms of like being maybe like 20, 21st in the league um, and, and not just allow these explosive plays to to really kill them. That Because that was like the biggest thing, you know, preventing them from being an average defense. So, um, they're doing some good things. Personnel changes have worked. 
Um, but I think in terms of figuring it out, I think that probably is an overreaction. Yeah, I would agree. Hey guys, VIP ticket packages for the first ever Super Bowl in Las Vegas are now on sale. And only on location offers all inclusive experiences worthy of the entertainment capital of the world. Ticket packages boast an array of offerings such as premium seating to the game, epic pregame parties with headline talent, NFL legend appearances, premium drinks and fare, and much more. Visit NFLonlocation.com or search NFL On Location today. Your football experience of a lifetime awaits only with On Location. I tell you, you want to do the next one here? I'd love to. Let's do the next one. So, switching back to the offense, the Chargers offense is in real trouble down the stretch of the season overreaction i'm gonna say yes uh epa per play right now is not very kind for the chargers over the last two weeks um obviously the points have not been kind either um but we're not too far removed from two very strong showings from the offense against the lions and the packers um the lions in particular like we were definitely not expecting that kind of performance i think that game was was right up there with with Justin Herbert's best games of his career. We just talked about Justin Herbert having a really strong uh, performance on Sunday, despite the the six points. Um, the context of his performance, I think, is, is stronger than that. Um, and they have some positive matchups here down the stretch. The Broncos' defense is not the same one that had 70 points hung on them uh, by the Dolphins. But you can score on, on the Broncos' defense. You can score on the Bills' defense. Um, we'll see what happens with the chiefs and what kind of that game means. But I think Justin Herbert and Keenan are still playing at a high enough level where I'm not super concerned about the offense. Obviously there are some things that I am concerned about, which we have talked about, but as a whole for the offense, I think they will be fine over the final five weeks of the season. I think Justin Herbert definitely keeps that floor there. And you assume that the drops will decrease significantly i can't imagine another six drop game although they've already had two i think the last four weeks but i think things could get better i don't think it's an overreaction though to say the Chargers will be in trouble on offense over the last few games now sort of like the defense it depends on what your your bar is here what is the version for what being in trouble is i think it's hovering in like this 14 to 20 point range I think, and basically not be able to exceed that. And I, I think the Chargers are a bit in trouble. Uh, the Raiders, believe it or not, are fifth in EPA per play the last five weeks on defense. That certainly is potentially because of the the coaching switch. I'd imagine so. But you see what they did to the Dolphins. Heck of a game. They're playing hard. And of course, like rivalry games are just different. The Bills will see how they are and what the state of their defense even is by the time they get to that game. But McDermott is a defensive-minded head coach. The Chiefs, we saw what the Chargers did against the Chiefs. Um, and that was with Josh Palmer, who dropped a buck 33 on them. I, the Josh Palmer situation is what gives me a lot of pause right now. If we saw sure. either Palmer come back or Quentin Johnson be more heavily involved as a true mainstay in the offense, I'd feel better. But I, I do worry about the Chargers offense right now because I don't think the run game gets solved. I need to see this Chargers offensive line pass protect as they did on Sunday for several games. I don't know, man. I, I am worried about this group. And, uh, you know, the, the Broncos defense, it was definitely not great to start the season, but they are eighth in the same last five games um, in EPA on defense. So in theory, the Chargers, based on what's going to be the second half of the season, are facing 
three or four ish top 10 defenses in terms of how they are playing right now. Sure. And that gives me a bit of a pause. So I think it's not an overreaction to say the Chargers offense is actually in trouble. Yeah, I mean, Palmer coming back would be huge. We don't yes. know what that status is. Um, Brandon Staley said this week that there's a chance he comes back. He's progressing, but um, we don't really know. He's he's eligible to come off injured reserve basically at any time at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Chargers right now need somebody else to to step up alongside Keenan Allen. I, I saw this stat from Hayden Weeks of Underdog Fantasy that Keenan Allen is accounting for 35% of, of the Chargers targets right now, which is second only to Tyree Kill in the league at this point through through this kind of uh, season. So Keenan obviously has 101 catches. We've talked about him potentially being in uh, in range to catch Michael Thomas's receptions record, which would be crazy, um, which is fantastic for Keenan. Obviously, we've loved to watch it happen, but the Chargers do need a secondary target to come back into things. Uh, Gerald Everett was more involved this past Sunday. Maybe he's that guy. And Brandon Staley did tell CBS quite often, apparently, that that was the guy that they were hoping to get going more often. So we'll see how it happens there. I, I understand the concerns. I just think that Justin Herbert is playing at a level right now where I think they'll be fine. I'm not expecting them to be like top five like they were when everybody was healthy, unfortunately. But I think they'll be able to, you know, have chances to win these games because I just think Herbert is is playing at that level right now. Yeah. O- overall, I think both the offense and the defense are going to kind of meet in the middle. I think they're both going to be, you know, the offense will have to try to return to their form. Defense will have to maintain this form. I think they'll kind of meet in the middle as both being solid, I hope, to finish the season. How many wins you get out of that? Not sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, our next one here is a bit of a um, maybe a season-ending topic, but we wanted to touch on it because Mr. Kulimak is having a fantastic season, and and we're limiting this specifically to veteran off-season additions. But Tyler, is it an overreaction to say that trading for Khalil Mack is the best veteran off-season move that Tom Telesco has ever made? If we're just talking about free agent acquisitions or trading acquisitions and non-drafts, Yes. It is not an overreaction to say that Khalil Mack is the best move that Telesco has made in the offseason during his tenure. I think the three that you put up there are signing Corey Lindsley, which completely changed everything about pass protection for the Chargers when he first got there. 100%. Casey Hayward signing, which is an incredible signing, um, one of the best in the NFL over that span in terms of what they ended up getting out of it. But I think the trade for Khalil Mack while the defense overall has not been completely changed by that specific addition, there's a player right now in Kalumak gunning for the NFL sack record all time, two away from passing Sean Merriman, Leslie O'Neill for their own, yeah. or from tying those two guys. So, no, it's not an overreaction. I think at minimum, he's one of the three best um, additions through the offseason, and so therefore not an overreaction. Yeah, I think those three are are definitely in the main contenders for this designation. I think you can make an argument for uh, Mike Pouncey. I think you can make an argument for like Russell Okung, but those guys obviously had the injuries and things like that. Um, there, there are other guys that I think would be in kind of a second tier that we could discuss, but those three are definitely the, the top tier. I think if like if Khalil hits the sack record, the answer to this is yes. Like if you get you know, 22, and if you get 23 sacks out of Khalil Mack at age 32 and you trade a second and six-round pick for him, the answer to this question is yes. 
I still would lean Casey Hayward because of the duration that he was mm. so good for the Chargers because there was like a legitimate four-year stretch there where he was arguably, you know, the best cornerback in the NFL. And he did it at two different positions. Like the first year he came to the Chargers, he was a slot corner, led the league in interceptions. Then he was an outside corner in Gus Bradley's scheme. And he was one of the best outside corners in the league. So I would still lean Casey because of the duration. You know, he had the, the longer time period. But Corey and Khalil are are definitely very close behind Casey right now. So yeah, uh, for now, I'm saying slight overreaction. I get that. And you know, we were all super excited and hyped for the Khalil Mack trade because we knew who Khalil Mack was and how great he was. You know, you're, you're getting a player that is a very proven player. Not that Casey wasn't, but it was, it was, it wasn't exactly the same coming from green Bay with him sure. that signing and certainly how much it cost. Right. Initially that signing for him was, it was very small. It wasn't all that much. Um, and then he got the extension later on. So yeah, I understand why you'd go with Casey Hayward. I do think that these two guys are the one and two with Lindsley in third. Lindsay, I think, could have been first if he were healthy this season um, because sure. allowing, what was it, nine pressures in two seasons is unlike anything we had seen from any yeah. Chargers player in quite some time just this last season and what's been going on with the, whatever the situation is. Hope he's okay. Um, that kind of knocks him to third. Yeah. All right, Tyler, let's get to the next one here. All righty, let's do this one. Overreaction or not, Joe Lombardi was better as the Chargers offensive coordinator than Kellen Moore as the Chargers offensive coordinator. Man, uh, obviously we, we wanted to do this one because they're playing each other this week. Uh, you know, there's a lot of coaching narratives to discuss. Um, I think this is an overreaction because I, I think what Kellen did over the first it's very small sample size, but what Kellen did over the first three games was better than anything Joe Lombardi did uh, during his tenure as the Chargers. So, of course, you know, the, the sample is very limited there. The Chargers in 2021 were mostly very healthy throughout the offense that season. We haven't seen Kellen get that kind of opportunity. Obviously, there's been a lot of injuries that they've had to, to deal with, um, not to the same extent as 2022, to be fair. Um, so I think the bones of Kellen Moore's offense are just naturally better. And I think that Kellen, his mission was, I think, like obviously Justin Herbert and his development first and foremost. And I think that those are the reasons why I would say Kellen Moore is a better offensive coordinator for the Chargers than Joe Lombardi was. I agree. This is an overreaction. I think we can at least admit that in 2021, that was the best overall offense of Justin Herbert's career. I'm not saying Herbert yeah. was the best or wasn't the best, but that was the best overall offense. And that is objectively true. You look at EPA, DVOA, they had more points per drive than the season where Ladanian Tomlinson set the touchdown record. So it was a pretty good offense overall. You could maybe just pick yeah. out some of the games where it wasn't so great, but it was still a top five offense in terms of efficiency, scoring, et cetera you really have to compare the two teams when the adversity hit and both of these guys, Joel Lombardi in 2022, Kellen Moore this year have dealt with a lot, you know, for, okay, maybe you get Corey Lindsley this year, but Justin was cracked that year. You get right. more Josh Palmer this year, but you lose, you know, Mike Williams for, you know, 15 games the next year. So yeah. it's, it's tough, but I think if you just look at it, when the adversity hits, and this is what we wanted. When the adversity hits, who's better? 
who can pull more. I think it's easily Kellen Moore. There's no game on the Chargers schedule last season where they came close to putting up 38 points with all these guys hurt. That doesn't happen. Keenan Allen working downfield, you know, with a skinny, two skinny posts or whatever it was, two of them for touchdowns. That doesn't happen against the Lions with Joe Lombardi as the offensive coordinator. There is no 38 point output for the Chargers over that stretch. So I think working with what they have when they've been limited, I think Kellen Moore has been better, but 2021 was the best overall Chargers offense, but that's also because Slater was playing like an all pro. You had Corey Lindsley playing like an all pro. So things, everyone was just healthier. Um, the, yeah. the, where the Chargers were going this season, as you pointed out with those first three games, first game, very different than the third game, but the passing game started to really figure itself out. Keenan had 200 yards and he threw for another 40. Mike Williams had a hundred something yards. Josh Palmer had two big catches, one of them for a touchdown. Justin Herbert was perfect in that game. That's where the passing game was going to go. And yeah. then the rest is what we already know. So I, I think that if we had seen this offense healthy for eight games, we're talking about one, a very different season and two, just a completely different feel overall about Kellen Moore where, you know, fans, as we interact with are not asking or suggesting this idea that Lombardi is a better coordinator for the chargers than Kellen Moore. Yeah. I think even just if, one of Palmer or Mike Williams are healthy right now. I think you're seeing a drastically different offense, but you lose those two guys, you know, Quentin has had obviously his ups and downs. He had a much better game this past Sunday. Austin Eckler has been injured as well and has taken a step back physically. And those are things that Joe Lombardi didn't have to deal with for a whole season. So um, that is fair. But like you mentioned, 2021, the Chargers offense that year and Justin Herbert that year, have been the best offense that Justin Herbert has experienced. Um, If they make the playoffs that year, he's probably an MVP candidate because he was just like lighting it up that season. So um, we'll see what happens there. All right, last one here. Uh, We wanted to give a a shout out to the Chargers special teams here. Tyler, is it an overreaction to say that Ryan Ficken is the best special teams coordinator in the NFL at this current time? Nope. Because he was one of them at minimum last season with the Chargers were one of the best special teams units. This year, as Eric Smith pointed out in his article, the Chargers are first in special teams DVOA. So I think if you're first in DVOA, that means you have a pretty good unit. And therefore, I do believe Ryan Ficken should be in contention for that. Not an overreaction. Ryan Ficken is one of the best coaches in the league, period. And the Chargers are one of the best special teams in the league and currently the best special teams unit in the league. He's just... We talk about so many different players, you know, on this channel, Justin Herbert, we talked about Thule, Khalil Mack. We talk about these guys consistently. The coach we bring up all the time, though, with, with these guys is Ryan Ficken, because every single week, these guys are pushing excellence and they're so well coached. And you can see it in the press conferences. You can see it in the interviews. You can see it on film, in their comments. Everything is just cranked up to 11 in terms of the IQ of the special teams unit and the execution of the special teams unit. And anywhere you look, you want, I mean, even just on on Sunday, you got a perfect kicker, an excellent punter, a great returner, and the Patriots didn't do anything in terms of returns and they really haven't all season. So yeah, Ryan Ficken, man, one of the best. Um, He should be a head coach somewhere at some point. Difficult for teams to commit to a special teams coordinator, but you're not gonna find many better coaches than Ficken right now. 
Yeah, and like I think we also have to put into to context here. Like we're not too far removed from this Chargers team having the worst special teams unit in the league. Um, and when Brandon Staley was hired, like one of the things that was like always kind of like secondary was like, okay, like you got to figure out how to get the special teams unit to be at least average. And it didn't go super well the first year. They hire Ryan Ficken. And since that moment, the Chargers have been not just average, they've been an elite special teams unit. And it's not like they have gone through a super healthy, like everybody around Ryan Ficken that he's coaching, everybody's healthy, right? Like they went through four kickers last year. Um, obviously, you find Cameron Dicker and, and Cameron Dicker has become this elite kicker right now. And a lot of that I would credit Ryan Ficken for. And just his his steady hand in Cameron Dicker's development. If you remember, Cameron Dicker started his NFL career as a punter for the Rams. Like that's what they were using him as because he was kind of a dual threat uh, player. Now he this is a guy who has the highest uh, success rate in terms of any kicker. He's at ninety five percent right now. You know, we talked about Darius Davis on our show on Sunday. He leads the league in punt return average. And if you just highlight the special teams unit and how many games over the last two years, the special teams has really sparked wins. I think you're talking about at least four or five games. Um, and Darius Davis this year has been super impactful. Um, JK Scott, you know, was a cast off punter. Like he was potentially out of the league and he's having these awesome seasons under Ryan Ficken. You look at what they're getting from these gunners and what he's got from Dean Leonard and Jasir Taylor. Um, well, you didn't have Jasir Taylor on Sunday. You lost Raheem Lane a couple weeks ago. And A.J. Finley comes in off of the practice squad, and he's been an excellent special teams player. Dayon Henley, Eamon Aguagamiga, uh, Nick Neiman, all these guys are legitimately core special teams players. You signed Blake Lynch off of the street, and he's a core special teams player. Like, everything just kind of clicks into place. Like, it's incredible to watch what Ryan Ficken has been doing for this team. And absolutely, I think this is not an overreaction. I think he's definitely one of the, one of the, at least the two best special teams coordinators in the NFL right now. Yeah, I would agree. He, he's I hope for the Chargers what like Dave Tube is for the Chiefs, where he was just he's been a consistent presence for them as a coach for at least since Andy Reid's been there, which I think is about a decade now. So if, if Ficken can be that for the Chargers for a long time, the Chargers are in really good hands. Like you said, how often can we look at the Chargers? over the last decade and say that the special teams won you a game. Um, and it never is like yeah. officially just a special teams that does it, but there's right. a few games where it really feels like that it certainly was against the Broncos on Monday night football. Um, it certainly was against the jets. Darius Davis literally won them that game with his one touchdown and it was over. Like you could have gone home. Jets weren't scoring more after that. Anyway, um, it, it's just a tremendous, tremendous advantage for the chargers. Yeah. And like, how crazy is that to say that uh, after everything we've watched, you know, yeah. the early years of my fandom, because I was born in 1994. So, like, people pointed out to me today, like, oh, like, you had John Carney and all these guys. Like, okay, I was five when John Carney left the Chargers. Um, you have Mike Cyphers and, and Nate Kading, obviously. But really, like, since, since, like, I was in high school, so, like, 2010-ish to Ryan Ficken, the Chargers have been bad on special teams. And now it's one of the best units in the league. Mm -hmm. So, Ryan Ficken absolutely uh, deserves a shout-out. Um, all right, real quickly here, we're going to wrap up today's show, just highlighting the uh, Broncos game. A few things here. Um, first and foremost, it is Antonio Gates Day. He is going to be honored at halftime. 
Uh, obviously, a guy we all have argued as the greatest tight end of all time. So first and foremost, uh, congratulations to Mr. Antonio Gates. Uh, many of my core memories of the Chargers are involving Antonio Gates and Philip Rivers and all those guys. Um, I would also encourage anybody who attends this game on Sunday to stay in your seats at halftime and be able to watch Mr. Antonio Gates get his uh, due recognition from the Chargers. So um, definitely wanted to start there. Shout out to Antonio Gates, one of the best ever, should absolutely be a first ballot Hall of Famer at, uh, at next year's um, ceremony. And I uh, hope that is the case because he, absolutely, he definitely deserves that. He's just a throwback to an era and really kicked off kind of a renaissance at the position at tight end. And you, I've, I've watched highlights of him. The Chargers do a good job of posting highlights here and there of Antonio Gates. And it's just who plays like Antonio Gates these days. They're really, yeah. he's just different. He's unique. And you can tell this is a guy who was a basketball player who transitioned to the NFL and then just, oh, by the way, became a Hall of Famer. Um, or he's going to be a Hall of Famer. That's That's no surprise there. So... Um, yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. I was there when he broke the touchdown record. I was there um, on White Hot Sunday when they played the Seahawks in their opener, and I believe 2014, where he had the hat trick, three touchdowns to upset the mm -hmm. defending champions. Like it was, he, he's a part of many of my memories, of course, and certainly one of my favorite players on the Chargers of all time. Yeah. So, like I said, uh, I encourage anybody who's attending on Sunday to uh, stay there at halftime in your seats and uh, be able to participate in uh in that in a little bit of a ceremony so um getting to this game specifically in, in our, our time here i do want to highlight this because this sunday against the broncos is essentially an elimination game for either team um you know the, the broncos have had this recent you know surge here they won five games in a row obviously they lost to the texans um the chargers are are still kind of hovering at a point where they could presumably make a run, like make make things right. So as it currently stands, according to New York Times, the Chargers have an 8% chance of the playoffs, and Sumer Sports has them at 9.1%. Um, the Broncos are, are a little bit better here. Um, I think they're around 20%. In most cases, obviously, they have a better record right now. Um, the Chargers, if they lose this game, they're at less than a 2% chance on both of those two sites in terms of making the playoffs. The Broncos go from around 20% to around 10%. Obviously, the AFC, a lot has been changing. Trevor Lawrence just got injured. Obviously, Joe Burrow is injured. But essentially, Tyler, this is an, eliminate, an elimination game for the Chargers. If they lose, you know, right now, the things are looking bleak in terms of their playoff chances. But if they lose... That's pretty much all she wrote in terms of uh, making the playoffs. So I know that there's still a lot of people hoping that this team makes a run in the playoffs. Obviously, we both would love to see them make a run of the playoffs. That's the goal, obviously, to get into the dance. Um, but if they lose this game, it is essentially over. What is being a fan if not basically assuming your team is completely out of the postseason after four losses, only to go check the NFL playoff predictor after they win a 6-0 game against the <laughs> Patriots. That's just fandom, right? Fanatic right Heck there. Yeah. Um, was definitely looking at that uh, and certainly looking at all the injuries at quarterback that are going on in the AFC right now. It feels like there's an opportunity for a team to sneak in because of those, and we'll see what the ramifications of all these injuries are over the next few weeks. But, yeah, man, this this is it. This is it. Like, this is potentially the season if the Chargers lose this. If they lose this, that's the season. 1%. Um, I, I don't believe there's a team that's made it from 1% odds 
all the way to making it into the postseason. I can't imagine that there was. So while it has not been officially the end of the season so far for the Chargers, it, it basically ends on Sunday if they lose. And they can't. And I think it's going to come down to your your star players all the way down to your special teams unit, which is really good, all the way down to your backups like Bassey, not a little starter now, like Bassey, like these guys, to get it done. And I think the Chargers, at least at home against the Broncos, will be up for the task. Um, the games after that, where they have to travel to Denver, stuff like that, that is a different story. Yeah, I think, you know, the the overall intensity of this game should really ratchet up. Obviously it's a, it's a division rival game. I've said this before. I know a lot of Chargers fans have, have felt this too, that like the Broncos have kind of felt like more of like the emotional uh, rival for the Chargers for most of my life. I grew up in Utah. Like most people in Utah are Broncos fans. So for me, that was always kind of like the rival. Um, obviously there was like the Phil Rivers, Jay Cutler stuff back in the day. And then the Broncos won those two Super Bowls. So Obviously, the Chiefs now are like the top dog, but this is a super important game because this this could signify the end uh, of this season. Whereas, if you beat this team, you could potentially still have chance at the rest of uh, of your reaching your goals. Like, it's not necessarily control your destiny. It's definitely not control your own destiny. Um, but if you can win this game, you know you're you're sitting at six and seven. You're you're sitting in this spot where you can still potentially take advantage of all of these other AFC injuries. And like, as a casual fan of football, like I would like to see some healthy quarterbacks get into the playoffs, <laughs> man. Like I like no shade, but like, I'm not super interested in watching Mitch Trubisky and Joe Flacco, you know, start playoff games in the AFC wildcard picture. I would like to see Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and some healthy quarterbacks get into the playoffs. So if the chargers can win this game, like uh, I'm not going to go full tilt, obviously, but like you mentioned, like this is the fan experience, you know, you, I'm sitting there watching all these other quarterbacks get injured. And I'm like, man, like the Chargers, if they could just like figure it out and go on a run, like what if, like, what are the chances here? So um, it starts and ends on Sunday. This is essentially a playoff game for both teams because both teams, if they lose, they're, they're potentially SOL in terms of the, the playoff picture. Yeah, the, the playoffs start... They they probably started last week, honestly, for the Chargers, but they're yep. going to continue every week is, you know, against an AFC opponent, against somebody that you could potentially either see in the postseason or they're in front of you in the standings or whatever. So, yeah, this the, the play. Hey, we're in the playoffs. I think we did it. Um, does that mean <laughs> we're in the playoffs? Is it didn't work out like that? Uh, no, yeah. I, I am excited. I think the Chargers, it's look, it's more fun for us to talk about the Chargers after a win. And so hopefully they give us at least a few more weeks of this to, to carry on that hope. Cause that's all we got. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into this matchup more specifically on our show, but the, the key thing that I wanted to bring up today, the Broncos are living on explosive plays right now. Um, basically what I mean by that is specifically their rushing offense is, has created off explosive runs at the fifth highest rate in the league right now. And they have the highest turnover rate over the last eight weeks. Basically, since they allowed 70 points, they have created more turnovers per game than any defense in the league. And that's how they have been able to, you know, get on this win streak. They create explosive runs, some explosive passes. They're, they, they're certainly starting to figure out how to use Cortland Sutton specifically. Um, and then they create turnovers a lot, specifically fumbles. Uh, they've had a lot of positive fumble regression 
over the last six or seven weeks. So those are two key things. The Chargers have mostly done a great job of uh, of limiting explosive runs on defense and limiting turnovers on offense. Those two areas are going to be absolutely crucial in order to win this game on Sunday because that's basically how the Broncos have gotten hot over the last two months. Well, it's a good new. It's a good thing that the Chargers have Khalil Mack and he's facing Mike McGlinchey, who is fifth worst in the NFL in pass blocking efficiency. Uh, Khalil Mack's going to go get that sack record. Sunday's a nice extra game to to go find out if you can get there or not. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Apologies for a bit of a longer show, but we had a lot of things to cover here with the, the segments and things like that. So, um, you know, hopefully you guys in, enjoy the show. Comment, let us know. We'll be sure to be on YouTube and uh, interacting with you guys. We always appreciate appreciate all of that. Uh, like the show, subscribe to the Chargers channel and our own channel uh, over at the Guilty as Charged podcast. We greatly appreciate that support. Um, that's going to do it for us today. We'll see you next week at this time. As always, bolt up.